Welcome to the School of ICT Conversation Bites podcast. I'm Tessa, here to bring you bite-sized personal stories, latest research and career advice from the talented people in our Griffith University School of ICT community. In this episode, we have a conversation with Associate Professor Peter Bernis about his career in making sense of complex systems and some practical advice for leading and working in teams. So I, I have been working here at Griffith since uh, 1st of January 1992, so it's 31 years at the moment. Um, <clears throat> what brought me here is a series of fortunate or unfortunate events, <laughs> because uh, back in my home country in Hungary, I was head of systems engineering, I was making good money and uh, everything. And But at the time, I had a, a at the end of the 80s, I had a two-year assignment in uh, in Amsterdam, the Center for Mathematics and Computer Science. Mm-hmm. And at that time, during that time, my mentor died. I was working in a institute of, I think it was about 700 computer scientists and control engineers, and we were funded. We were working for industry, doing R&D and theoretical research as well. But my director, also resigned to retire. And uh, these are pretty much my two mentors. And uh, I was not very keen on working under the next director. So I said, well, I go as far as possible for just, let's find a three year project. So I did. At the time it was at UQ. But then when that project at UQ finished, there were many, several job offers. And I found that Griffith University hired really good people. It was a very new university, not yet very famous at all, yeah. but really good people. So I said, I don't go for the label of the university, but I want to work with the good people. Previously, I had other opportunities as well. I went to the... Uh, at the end of 70s to MIT to the Artificial Intelligence Lab, which had great interaction with Marvin Minsky, who was one of the fathers of AI. His book is still on my shelf. All right. And uh, so I was always interested in artificial intelligence, and I had the opportunity to go as a guest researcher for two years to Amsterdam and work in a group of so-called intelligent computer-aided design. Yeah how to use computer-aided design, in computer-aided design, AI. Uh, so not only represent the design object, but also represent and reason about the design process. Right, okay. So being a generalist has kind of led you to be able to do to, a yeah, really broad uh, Broad, yes. Set. Yeah. So yeah. that means it's very hard to to put me in a category of which is what is my discipline, you know? Yeah. I never studied um, IT, so to speak. Yeah. I was doing IT. I, I, I did study a little bit of programming still in the 1960s. Yeah. But not like a full IT uh, degree. Yeah. It's more like an engineering degree. Right. Okay. And then I, after the uh, Amsterdam, as I mentioned, I. I ended up coming to Australia and um, settled at Griffith eventually after three years. Yeah, fantastic. That's, yeah, what an interesting journey to get there that you've kind of, you've done that bit of industry 
kind of work, but then always learning along the way. So how would you describe what you do now in your in your job and also in research? So look, uh, I have been doing uh, the same thing for years and years and years. It may have the ephemeral part that people see looks different, but the underlying theme is exactly the same as when I said in my 20s that I would like to systematize the knowledge of complex systems. Mm -hmm. uh, what do we mean by the knowledge of complex systems? That has a lot of components, so you have to study all of these components. That's why the, um, the methodology to architect, uh, design, implement, maintain, transform complex systems of systems has many facets. Mm. It's a transdisciplinary problem. Transdisciplinary meaning it is not just people from different disciplines who all contribute what they know and therefore then there's a solution but you have to take the outputs of multiple disciplines. Okay. Including engineering, including cognitive science, mm. AI, and a number of other disciplines, information systems, which is perhaps a little bit uh, newer, and also cybernetics. But, uh, because the control of complex systems has very special problems that do not arise in complicated systems. So your, your, a lot of your research now is around trying to, I suppose, make complex systems more manageable. Would that be about right? Well, uh, that, that's, that's one aspect of it. Yeah. I'm interested in a com complete life cycle of complex systems. Okay. Especially complex socio-technical systems, which need to have these elites. Okay, could you tell us about those illities? <clears throat> yes. Um, of course, one of the most famous ones recently is resilience, right? Okay, yeah. It actually doesn't end with illity. Yeah, I was just thinking. It but doesn't... maintainability, uh, supportability, security. Uh, so there are a number of these systemic properties, and, and uh, we call them illities mm -hmm. because most of them uh, are and with illity, mm -hmm. but not all of them. And so the question is uh, how to architect systems that not only have initially that illity, but are autopoetic, which is the word, if you look up, for the property of a system that it continuously creates and maintains itself. Okay creates and recreates itself. It uh, originally comes from Maturana and Varena, based on which, uh, whose works were biologists, but uh, they were studying uh, biological systems, and it was taken up by, by Ludwig von Bertalanffy in the 1940s, but he published his work in German, so it took a couple of uh, years until when he immigrated to the US, it was translated, and as the basis of general system theory. Right. And so general system theory is about those kind of systems that create and recreate themselves. Mm. So as you know, in the human body, cells die mm. and new cells are created. And uh, 
that's on the micro level. On the higher level, some organs can actually uh, regenerate themselves and so on. And so actually we are in kind of a, uh, an equilibrium. Mm. These large-scale systems are in equilibrium where some parts of the system die and it's good that they do, otherwise you get cancer. Yeah. But new ones are being generated. So what happens in complex systems is the same sort of thing. Mm. It looks like, a, for example, suppose you would like to create a, um, an e-commerce system. Mm-hmm. An e-commerce system is a system of systems, meaning uh, your e-commerce enterprise actually as an undertaking relies on a number of other enterprises to give supporting services, who in turn rely on other enterprises to put other supporting services and so on. And each one of them is under a different management and control. Okay, yeah. See? So then you have to kind of somehow so bring it, it all it, together. Yeah, so, so it's like a living system. Right. It's like a living system. A complex socio-technical system. Systems is a living system. Yeah. Uh, parts come and go. Mm. Parts re- and how do you maintain still the identity of the system while well, every single component keeps changing? Yeah, yeah. So we, On the long term, like, like the energy system. Yeah. Or the transportation system. You know, the, the, the Via Appia, in, which goes from, uh, from south of Italy uh, up to Rome, Mm. Uh, and beyond, it's a, it's like two thousand years old, and still they're using it. Oh right? goodness, yeah, right. And I'm sure that would have seen an enormous the road system. Yeah, all sorts of things, but but you have a road system, mm. and a lot of our critical infrastructure is like that. Mm. You know, okay. housing, transportation, communication, uh, tra- everything. Mm. Is is this kind of system, right? So when you have a question of how to, you have a new IT technology to revolutionize transport, you have to devise a way to inject into the existing system where it can grow, get maintained, sometimes replacing some old systems. Mm. Otherwise, you will be completely unsuccessful with trying to innovate. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, you need people who uh, understand it and, and have the skills to use techniques to actually inject new technologies for innovation purposes mm. into existing systems. Yeah. Okay, so if if a student was looking to kind of get into that complex systems, architecture kind of space and what kind of pathway could they take? What should they be studying? What should they be um, Well, I mean, I, I believe that, that um, whether you study computer science or study um, information technology mm. or any type of technology-related uh, undergraduate degree, really, mm. I believe is usually achievable through a double major. Okay. So don't don't you think that if you only study information systems and enterprise architecture, that you will 
be very strong. You also need at least one technical, strong technical skill. Mm-hmm. And the opposite is also true. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you know a lot of programming and everything, but don't know about the human element and how to organize uh, uh, transformations, your success rate goes down. Yeah. So in the last two years, like if you look at McKinsey, one of the uh, analyst companies, uh, in the last two years, a lot of companies started to hire what they call chief transformation officer. Okay. I've, I've heard the name mm-hmm. of the job, but I've never really understood what that means. No, when you come out from, uh, come out from, the, from the undergraduate degree, you're, <laughs> you're okay. not be hired like that. That's fair enough. <laughs> but what I mean is I always tell my students, <clears throat> uh, they say, I want to be an enterprise architect. Fantastic. Mm. Um, you studied in the undergraduate and maybe you did an information systems and enterprise architecture major in the in the masters or already in the undergraduate. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you come out and you are not going to be hired right away as an enterprise architect mm. or a uh, chief transformation officer. So what is the pathway? And I believe that the pathway is for, in the enterprise architect field, is actually the two. Uh, if you are more technically interested, uh, then become a developer. Yeah. But work in a team where you are exposed to solution architecture. Okay. Solution architecture is actually the architectural definition of A particular system uh, and work in that um, area and you, you if you become a more lead developer you can become a solution architect okay especially if you work for uh, in a company which uses uh, which uses devops for example if you know devops mm-hmm. for me the um, DevOps, of course, many people use it and they don't know what it actually is. It's just a tag. But the main thing is, actually, you're a developer, but occasionally you are being put on operational support. Okay. And you actually understand the calls that come in and people complain. And you realize how important it was to make sure that the OK button is visible on the screen. You don't have to scroll down three pages. Yep. Because otherwise you will get all these calls. Yep. You know? (laughs) Yes, people people definitely like to Or you realize that, you know, with HTML5 and whatever, you can do all sorts of fancy interactions and and web pages Mm. just because the technologies that don't do it. Mm. How many people are, uh, you know, calling up something like in a, a recipe for cooking? Yeah. And you start reading, and after three lines, something suddenly something changes because finally it loaded the video. But it didn't have to have the video. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no. Uh, yeah. You should have like just a small picture. Click here if you want. <laughs> yeah. See, so that means just technology allows you to. And it's just a pain in the butt yeah. uh, if you use that technology because you're 
not everybody has the latest and greatest gadget that runs everything. Mm-hmm. So you need to understand that part. So if you are working in an environment where the DevOps as an approach is being used, you suddenly understand the motivations of the end users. Yeah. And therefore, you actually become a better designer. Mm. And can also talk better with the business analysts. Mm. The other possibility is uh, if you are less technologically interested, you still need to know enough technology that you that you um, learn in the Bachelor of IT, mm-hmm. but not necessarily that you develop new algorithms that you supposedly learn in Bachelor of Computer Science. Mm. But you still understand the IT enough as a core skill, mm-hmm. and then you study business analysis and enterprise architecture, and perhaps initially become a business analyst. Yeah, okay. Because business analysts talk, uh, they are like the glue between between the client and user and so on, and the architect. Right. Architect like a chief designer. And you can grow into the architect role, but you probably will learn more about the business and therefore you might become a business architect. Mm. So there are several pathways. Yeah. People would say, oh, and how about agile methodologies? Mm-hmm. Well, agile methodologies have their role, mm-hmm. but it's not all that. Okay. So if you treat agile methodology as a religion, you are, you won't be successful. Okay. You have to know about it and then go into the enterprise and figure out what works in that. If you have, for example, um, a program with large number of projects and they have to be coordinated, there's a need for project management uh, skills and project management functions. Yeah. How do you distribute it within the team? Mm. Whether there will be someone who is called a team leader or whatever, or not necessarily a project manager, doesn't matter the project management functions, mm. that you need to know what's your budget, for example. Yeah. yeah. It's still there. Yes, yeah, there's still some like core stuff you have to Yeah, add. that's right. Yeah. So uh, if you learn project management from the PM book, Project Management Body of Knowledge, mm-hmm. and uh, you think it's outdated, no, that knowledge is not outdated. It's just how much of it you do and who in the team does it and how often yeah. that changes between uh, the traditional methods and changes with client. Mm. You work for a client, and the client no, says, uh, "This is our method. We have to follow it because you develop them." Yeah. And you cannot say, "But we are agile." <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> uh, you have to understand the client's needs. Yeah. So uh, I believe that anybody who is at the moment studying, you have to seriously look at uh, having both a technical skill and the architecture, business analysis skills have the combination. And if you're very technically oriented, uh, then uh, it's just the the proportion of the two, but not zero and 100%. It's not good. Yeah, okay. It's not enough, absolutely not enough. Yeah. 
Yeah, cool. Yeah. So do you have any advice for any up-and-coming leaders um, on how to step into that management kind of space? You have to take a deep breath. It is because it can overtake your life. Mm. Be humble. Refrain from giving other directives mm. or commands. Lead by example. Talk to people a lot. Yeah. In their own space. Mm. One thing to call in somebody into the office for a chat. And the other one is walk, walk around and knock on their door and say, do you have a minute? Yeah. And just listen to their, not necessarily jump into what you want to achieve, mm. but listen to where are they now, what's happening with you. And uh, to create a, a, a trust that you understand them. Yeah. You understand where they're coming from. And then you might say, no, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> no. I was thinking, what if we did such, such and such? What is your opinion? Yeah. And just hear their opinion. And at the end, uh, don't say, well, okay, so therefore this is what you're going to do. Yeah. Thanks for that. Was, that was a useful chat. And I go around. You might have to go around one more time. But what happens is that uh, during these walkabouts, you actually create a, um, a trust in you mm. that you understand that you will take into account their opinions. So by the time there is a group meeting, meetings are not that there to make decisions. Meetings are there to confirm decisions. Okay, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. That means that in the meeting you can say, well, talk to many people. These were the things that we considered and everybody's opinions were taken into account, as you can see. Mm. So be honest, of course. And I uh, say, well, so therefore the proposal is to do this. Mm. But you already know that that will be your proposal. Yeah. And if, if they really don't agree, they would have already come to you. So it's almost like the meeting is only a, a kind of a ceremony. Yeah. But that's my experience. Right. So leadership where you where you, you demonstrate uh, empathy, mm -hmm. understanding, respect, all these things. Mm. So you would have worked in um, quite a few teams and a lot of projects and both um, yes. in Australia and internationally as Correct. well. Yeah. What's some advice on being on the team member side? What can we do to, to work better together? First... Talk when you have something to say. Yeah. And be brief. And if you explained, then take a pause. Don't right away start with more detailed explanation. A pause is very important when talking to people. Mm. 
is because uh, it gives them the ability to say, ah, oh, but if you ride away without um, any brake, which can be just three seconds or two seconds, uh, you keep on talking, you actually don't allow them to think. So I love mathematics. That's really my mother discipline, if you want. Yeah. And I don't like whiteboards, although here we have whiteboards, so <laughs> what, what do we do? I like blackboards and chalk. Okay. And the reason why is because uh, with blackboard and chalk, first of all, you have to use bigger letters. Yeah. That means anybody who sits in a lecture room or a meeting room can read it, everybody. Mm -hmm. Two, you cannot write very quickly. Mm. So for that reason, people have enough time to understand it there. And if they don't, they can gather the courage to actually say, but, and mm -hmm. can you? There you go. That's really interesting. It's interesting insight into a bit of what complex systems, some of the things when you think about that, and also, yeah, working in teams and as, as mm. a leader as well. It's been really interesting to have that conversation with you. Mm. What would you say is the number one takeaway from our conversation today? I don't know whether you do or do not take this away. Uh, but um, as I mentioned in the beginning, for people who look at what I have done uh, in my, during my career up to now, and they say, oh, this and that, computer graphics and uh, petrochemical engineering, manufacturing engineering and command and control and AI and whatever. What is coherent about that? Well, certainly they are systematizing complex systems because they are all examples of complex systems. Mm -hmm. And uh, plus the disciplines that contribute to the architecting and management of it. But uh, <clears throat> certainly as you go through your life, you have to have some sort of lineage um, from the beginning to the present. Mm. And so I also, when I said to myself in, when I was in my 20s that I will study how to systematize large-scale systems, I said the way I'm going to approach this is I have three legs. Mm. And one leg is what I already do, I do it well. Mm. At the time it was computer graphics programming and human-computer interaction and all that. The second leg is, uh, so that means I could already go and do everything. Yeah. I was not doing research on it, I just, just did it. Yeah. And the other one was, the, the second leg is what you actually do most of your time. That's your main focus area. Mm. But that's not enough, you need a third one. And the third one is many little legs where you always open with open-mindedly, you uh, study, you listen to read, uh, and so on, a number of things. Mm. Uh, so that by the time the second one becomes the first, you have to choose which one will be your focus area, the next, and so on. So on a rotational basis. So you always have something that you're currently selling. The second one, what you're currently is your focus of your attention, of creativity. Mm -hmm. And the third one is gathering information from all around the world, which 
and then filtering it and then see how what actually fits into a continuity mm. and then you go on a rotational yeah. basis yeah, that's a really interesting life philosophy to me. Mm. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today, Peter. It was great to get to know a bit more about you and what you do. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll see you again another time. Thank you, Tess. Thanks for listening to the School of ICT Conversation Bites podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it around and we would love to hear your feedback. Do you have any burning questions? Who should we interview next? Let us know through the link in the description.